Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. Uh, this podcast, we talk about every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series. My name is Kevin, and I am joined by, as always, my good friend Jonathan. Hi, guys. Uh, today, we are talking about uh, episode five of season one, entitled The Enemy Within. And before we start, I... I have a feeling you got a question for me there, John. I got a question for you. Yeah, this is another good one. Uh, before we get into the question, I want to mention to the fans, if you guys have good questions for us, suggest them, send them to us on our social media platforms. We'd love to ask your question on the show. Absolutely. Uh, but my question is, in a hand-to-hand, hand-to-hand combat scenario, which TOS crew member would you want to have on your side? So you got beamed onto like a, a Klingon, you know, battlefield. Who, who's who's going to back you up? So, I, I think there's only one logical answer to this question, <laughs> and it, it, I, I don't know how much they've delved into Spock's, like, strength, but he's, he's, he's got enhanced strength as a Vulcan, or as half Vulcan. He's got mm-hmm. that enhanced strength, which is why he's able to do the, the Vulcan nerve pinch that we saw in the last episode and in this episode. Um, he might not have the same experience of some of the other crew members, but I think Spock would definitely be the logical answer there. I like it. So my first response was going to be Kirk. Cause I was thinking, Oh man, he does that two fisted punch. Like he could t- take anybody out. And he's also pretty smart. He, he can sometimes outwit even Spock uh, with his unpredictable nature. But then there's that, that Vulcan, you know, pressure pinch thing that just kind of subdues anybody and increase strength. So I agree with you. I think you're right. Spock's probably the one to go with for sure. You do make a good point about, Kirk, though, because that that double axe handle smash, I think, is what they end up calling. I don't know if they call it in that or if it's just a uh, like a WWE name for it, but <laughs> yeah, that's uh, used quite commonly. And I I don't think he this is the only series or the only version of Star Trek that uses that. I think we see like Riker use it in TOS. And- yeah, I think after that, it becomes just like a a technique that was taught in you know Starfleet Academy. Yeah, it's one of the the basic attacks in star trek online one of the basic melee attacks in that game too so it definitely carried forward from <laughs> from this show that's hilarious all right let's get into our recap and review all right we start this episode on uh planet alpha 177 uh we see Sulu holding a what looks like a rhino dog. I don't I don't know what to call this creature, but it's a dog inside a rhino a fluffy rhino costume. Is what it looks like. <laughs> I uh, called it a <laughs> uh, a unicorn dog. There you go. Oh, you know what? I think I think <laughs> so. I was googling it later, uh, and I think that's what I saw online too. Other people referencing it as okay. Uh, so a crewman falls and gets hurt. He's got some yellow ore on him, and he gets beamed back to Enterprise. Um. And that that's all we see on the planet. So, uh, one other thing I want to mention: the, the the most exciting part of that scene, I think, was seeing that that unicorn dog. That was hilarious and entertaining. I tried to find that costume. I was like, you know what? I I don't have a small dog. I got a huge dog. Um, but I know Frank, our I don't know, executive producer or editor, all of the above. He has an adorable little pug. I'm like, if I could find this, this unicorn dog costume for his pug, that would just be hilarious. <laughs> but I searched, I searched all over. I spent a while <laughs> trying to find it. It 
I can't find it online anywhere. I did see pictures of one person custom making uh, a, a replica of it, uh, but nobody sells it. So I'm a little disappointed. If you know where we could find it, let me know. Yeah, or just make it yourself and throw it on Etsy. I'm sure there will, after people listen to this episode of Trek Freaks, there's going to be a demand for it. I like it. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> All right. So from there, we go to the transporter room. Uh, we see when they beam up the crew, I and mean, he has, there's a little bit of a bug with the transporters. I'm not sure what it is, but then Kirk beams up a little later. Uh, he feels a little funny coming off the transporter pad, a little woozy. So Scotty escorts him to his quarters. Well, as soon as they leave, we see another Kirk appears on the transporter pad. This one with sinister lighting. Dun, dun, dun. Right. So I call from now on. It, uh, my my wording might be confusing for people, but this keeps it straight in my head at least. The evil Kirk, I just call him Captain Evil, and the friendly one, I call him Captain Meek. Or just meek, because uh, I had to remind myself throughout the episode that the nice version is not just our captain, the normal Captain Kirk. He's also a more docile, less decisive version of the captain. So I gave him two different names just to differentiate that better. And you're much better at that than I am. I just refer to them as first Kirk and second Kirk <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> nice. But yeah, that's a good point, though. I think at this point, we're supposed to think that it's a real Kirk and then an imposter Kirk. And yeah, yeah that ends up not being the case. Uh, so did you feel like that that sinister lighting and everything on the transport pad? Do you think that was effective or was that a little cheesy? Uh, I'm going to say yes on both accounts. It's okay. it, it's the 60s. It's always cheesy. Star Trek is cheesy, but I, I think it did the job well. Yeah, I think the, the, the background music with it, too, kind of sold it. I think it got came together good enough at least to be believable but yeah it, is, it definitely has a little bit of cheese to it as much as we talk about the the sounds and like the <laughs> the one episode that had the ricochet effect and the, <laughs> the sound design's not always the greatest on this show but the music cues are always fantastic in my opinion yeah and i'm sure i mean back then you know computer technology wasn't as advanced as it is now so most if not all sounds were probably made by hand in a you know audio studio right practical sound effect there you go. You got the smart words. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after this, we see um, the Captain Evil, evil version of, of Kirk, uh, enters sick bay and yells for Sari and Brandy. Um, he grabs the doctor and, and you know, kind of yells in his face and demands it again, gets the brandy and leaves and enters Yeoman Rand's quarters. Though, so a, a big, big, like mind blowing factor <laughs> from this scene I didn't realize, and this is only because I had my subtitles on, actually. <laughs> I didn't realize Sorry and Brandy is an alien race's Brandy. I thought it was, like, for some reason they mix apologies <laughs> with alcohol. And, like, uh, she'd mentioned on, um, Yeoman Rand mentioned on uh, Charlie X, that's what it was, that he was nipping Sorry and Brandy. I was like, so are you mixing your sorrows with alcohol? Is that what that means? Uh, but here, it, it uh, differentiates a little better. It explains that that's uh, from, from a planet, I guess, Saurian brandy. That is the best explanation for something that somebody didn't understand that I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. That, like, I, I kind of want to think of what Romulan ale would be, <laughs> if not <laughs> ale from Romulus. <laughs> right? Hmm. Well, I'll have to think of something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's something to do with uh, the character Rom from DS9, I'm sure. Yeah. 
That'd be great. But yeah, it was just that, that totally blew my mind when I had to pause the episode and reread the subtitles. Like, wait a minute, sorry, and that's that's totally different than I was expecting. <laughs> it's a proper noun. I thought it was yeah. just a just a descript descriptive word, <laughs> right? I've never anyway. <laughs> so moving on from there, we see um, Spot goes to check on Kirk, where uh, in his quarters, where he actually finds Captain Meek, the docile version of Kirk. Um, he sees he's doing just fine, but he explains, hey, the doctor told me you were, you were acting kind of crazy in the sick bay. And he's like, no, I've been here. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, you know, I think the doctor's just pulling your chain is what he says. Uh, but then we move on to Yeoman Rand's quarters, and we see that Captain Evil is attacking Yeoman Rand, trying to kiss her and grab at her very aggressively, which is pretty disturbing to see. And then uh, she scratches his face real good, which is a pretty helpful uh, key down the road. Um, and then crewman Fisher passes by the door and she yells for his help and <laughs> Captain Evil goes over and, you know, beats him down. Actually, at first I thought he killed him the way that the scene looked. Uh, but we see later that he is, you know, just fine. Man, Fisher uh, just can't catch a break. Yeah. <laughs> first he, he falls he, and he cuts his hand <laughs> and he gets attacked right? by That's this evil he, version of the captain. Yeah, I wasn't sure, but that's what I was like, I think he is the one that fell, right? He's the same guy. He's kind of limping around the whole episode after that. Yeah. Um, He's not even wearing a red shirt. What the heck? <laughs> right. So, yeah, this, uh, this scene really uh, kind of disturbed me the way, you know, Captain Evil was uh, assaulting Yeoman Rand the way she was, and we, he was. And we see this in a lot of other movies and stuff, I and mean, we've seen all kinds of, you know, gory stuff in movies. But I realized that it's, uh, probably so bothersome or whatever because we have such a personal connection with Captain Kirk and he he's like a you know a role model and a father figure and upstanding you know just general hero like you wouldn't want to see you know Batman lower his his uh, morals for you know a certain scenario so I think that's why this scene especially bothered me more than normal it was also a little more visceral than I was expecting like if if this episode aired on TV nowadays, it would be there'd be a trigger warning before the episode. And I, I, oh. I personally was kind of I was like shaking. I was getting really upset and angry at it myself. So like okay, even so talking I, about it, I'm getting kind of flustered. So, yeah, I was feeling the same thing. And I was like, well, maybe this is just me, you know, overreacting because of the, you know, what a great character Kirk is. But I'm glad that that you also feel this is a little bit more than we would see on TV nowadays, at least, without a disclaimer. Yeah, I think if Star Trek were to do something like this in a scene now, they would have another character walk in and stop it before it happened. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay, so after, after this, um, we, see, we go back to the transporter room, and we see the, uh, the effects of the transporter. They figure out that it's splitting whoever's transported because they tried it with that little rhino dog. I don't get why they... Or unicorn dog, I should say. I don't know why they uh, transported the dog by itself. Maybe it was just a test. They didn't specify, but uh, but it splits it into a good and evil. One of them's you know a little vicious yap yap dog. But this means that the landing party is stuck uh, on the planet surface until they can fix the transporters because they don't dare you know transport a bunch of men and have them all uh, split into two, right? Yeah, um, and evidently that whole subplot with Sulu and those crewmen being on the planet was not written into the original script. There are staff writers that added it in afterward, and uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, 
Richard Matheson, the guy that wrote the script for this episode, did not like that subplot being added to the episode. <laughs> I wonder why. That seems... That seems... So would they not have determined the issue with... Or, I see. They would have transported up uh, just Kirk and he split. There'd not be people behind that they need to rescue. In which case, they could just start sailing in another direction, but they would still have the issue of trying to fix the transporters, right? And try to recombine the two. Right, but I think having... I, I personally like having that subplot go on because it's it doesn't take away from the episode and it gives it raises the stakes for Kirk and Scotty and Spock to figure out what happened to try to fix it so they can get the other crew members aboard. Yeah, exactly. It puts a, a timer on it. It's like, hey, we have to do it now. These guys are literally dying, so it's a, a race to... To do it otherwise, it's like, well, we could just put the evil one in the brig and wait till we get back to Starfleet headquarters or something. Yeah. Okay, I like it. So another question is, do they not have a shuttlecraft that can land on the planet's surface and, and take these guys back? So that's another thing that I, uh, that I thought too, and I, in doing a little bit of reading on this episode, saw that, uh, yeah, of course, they end up having shuttlecraft in the series, but the shuttlecraft didn't debut until the 16th episode mm-hmm. of season one. So okay. I, they could just easily say that they hadn't picked up any shuttlecraft by then or something along those lines. I yeah. just don't think that they had thought about having shuttlecraft on the Enterprise before that. Yeah, and that makes sense. If they had them, they could just say the weather conditions were too aggressive for you know, uh, craft to actually land. But... Yeah, usually it's an ion storm in the upper atmosphere. <laughs> I think that's usually the go-to explanation for why a shuttlecraft can't be used. Yeah. All right, so after this, we go to um, Yeoman Rand's quarters. Spock, Bones, and Meek are all uh, talking to her, and she's explaining the whole attack. And I, I find it kind of odd that, that Meek, or a version of Kirk, is there when she thinks he's the one that attacked. It's like um, she should be able to talk to people in private about it. And, yeah, it was very insensitive. Yeah, but I know back then, it, that just wasn't understood the same way it is now, probably. Uh, so... Uh, Meek defends himself and explains like no I, w- I was in my quarters and you know she's like oh but I, I scratched you and he's like yeah I don't have any scratches on my face and then uh, Fisher pops by and <laughs> we find out he's not dead and he he testifies quickly too that yeah no I saw Kirk was attacking her um, so Spock as smart as he is deduces that there must be a duplicate of Kirk on board or something along those lines now a question is, I have for you is would Spock be more skeptical of the captain if he wasn't so close to him. And is that an emotional response or a logical one? I think up until the whole scratching of the face thing, Spock should have been more skeptical. Mm-hmm. Even with their relationship, his logic should have dictated that he would be skeptical of Kirk, I would think. But Maybe the the whole scratches to the face thing kind of overrode that and didn't matter so much. Or maybe it would have been jarring to the audience if they wrote it that way, that Spock didn't trust who we thought at the time was the real Kirk. Mm, I see. Okay. Goodbye that. And I know in later Star Treks they have dermal regenerators, but I don't know if they have that. I haven't seen that yet in this Star Trek. Yeah. So. But Bones was using something on Fisher's hand earlier. It looked like a vacuum cleaner thing that they used in, to, to suture up somebody after surgery in a prior episode. So I think that's, that's not a dermal regenerator, but it might be like a, a quick stitch yeah. device. 
I don't know. It's a vacuum cleaner to me. <laughs> I like it. All right, so we swing back to the uh, the planet surface where it's cold. The landing party is is freezing pretty much. Uh, the planet uh, gets to 120 below zero, and they mentioned the, the whole time they're talking about the planet's temperature. I noticed that they're talking Fahrenheit. Do you think that you know space travel and all this is gonna stay in the uh, standard, whatever you call it, imperial standard system, and not go metric? No, that was just for <laughs> us, the audience, to be able to understand. <laughs> Uh, so then we see in the transporter room, Meek and Spock are talking strategy. Uh, they know they have to find Captain Evil, and, uh, Spock mentions that they can't kill him because if we don't know what's going to happen, it might also kill Meek. Um, so Meek finds that his mind is also starting to slip a little bit. He's losing his leadership skills and his decisiveness. He's growing more Meek, is what it seems like. In fact, I'll join you. I have to take him back inside myself. I can't survive without him. I don't want to take him back. He's like an animal. A thoughtless, brutal animal. Yet it's me. Me. Jim. You're not different than anyone else. We all have our darker side. We need it. It's half of what we are. It's not really ugly. It's human. Human? Yes, human. Part of what he is makes you the man you are. God forbid I should have to agree with Spock, but he was right. Without the negative side, you wouldn't be the captain. You couldn't be, and you know it. Your strength of command lies mostly in him. What do I have? You have the goodness. Not enough. I have a ship to command. The intelligence, the logic, it appears your half has most of that. And perhaps that's where man's essential courage comes from where you see he was afraid and you weren't yeah um the part that really gets to me is uh they spock says that kirk can't afford to appear less than perfect to the crew that's mm -hmm. i i don't know if that was is that feeling carried forward throughout star trek or is that specific to the original series do you think I don't know, because he mentioned, I think he mentioned, like, you know, it could, or maybe he didn't mention it, I just imagined, but that it could cause a mutiny if they if they don't think you're strong enough to be captain or something like that. And I think it's more of, like, a, a trust thing. Like, we're diving into, you know, death every day, really, with all these crazy adventures they go on. So they have to trust that the captain is decisive and knows what to do and is making the right decisions all the time. And if that comes into question, then every decision he makes, they'll be questioning, should I follow him or should I, you know, uh, disregard his orders? And so I, I see that, but I, yeah, I, I'm not sure if that carries on. I know we've seen in other Star Treks too that, you know, the captain has to represent leadership and power no matter the scenario. Um, and when they're vulnerable, it's usually very secluded in an isolated uh, situation where not everybody knows what's going on. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly portrayed the same way going forward too. The vibe that I got from that was more of a like a bravado or a macho uh, thing. Like you can't appear less than perfect as the captain. I, I, that's just the way that I took it. It might not have been meant that way. Yeah, yeah, I could see that back in the back of those times, especially too. Yeah. Uh, so we go to the bridge and we see that the captain is making an announcement. 
he uh, is telling everybody there's an imposter that looks just like him, except for the scratches on his face. Uh, but Spock has to remind him uh, that he wanted to put he wanted to uh, tell everybody to put their phasers on stun and not kill. So again, we're seeing Meek's mind is starting to slip a little bit. Uh, one thing I noticed in this in the scene though that kind of bugged me, and maybe you, maybe you didn't see it, but uh, Spock's ears were not applied very well. You could see a visible line and a, a tone difference between you know his natural ears and his his uh, prosthetic ears. Oh, dang it. I didn't notice. And that's, I always kind of try to look out for those things and I didn't catch it at all. Yeah. Uh, so with that announcement, we see um, Captain Evil kind of goes on a little bit of a rampage. He's in, the, I think he's in the uh, captain's quarters and he smashes the computer, starts yelling, I am Captain Kirk. Uh, and then he tries to cover up his scratches with makeup. Then, he, like a jerk, he, he gets a phaser from Crewman Wilson, who he convinces him, you know, very briefly, that he is the captain and that, you know, hey, we're going to go hunt this guy down kind of thing. And he gives him a judo chop and knocks him unconscious. <laughs> and so that whole scene, though, I got to point out what good acting that was from uh, Will Shatner. That, that just enraged, I am Captain Kirk, trying to be a little more deranged and sweaty. And I, I thought it was a really good performance. The acting in the eyes alone. I know they put a little bit more eyeshadow on the, the evil, good Captain Evil to make him appear more evil to the audience, but like just the acting of the eyes, he's very wide eyed and like looking around back and forth. It was really good acting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So after this, we see they go down to engineering Spock and Meek uh, deduce that if this guy's trying to hide on the ship somewhere, uh, because now he's exposed for being the version he is with the scars on his face, then the best place to hide would be in the lower decks, probably engineering where there's not a lot of people. So they go down there, they're trying to find him, and Captain Evil's able to sneak up on Meek, uh, but he doesn't fire. Meek talks him down, uh, logically, and tells him, you, know, you can't kill me, you need me. Uh, and sure enough, he's able to back him into Spock, who gives him the Vulcan pinch, and has him subdued. Uh, but why do you think, even on stun, why would, why would uh, Captain Evil not shoot Meek? That's a good question. I, didn't, I don't have an answer for that, honestly. <laughs> Maybe he was just right. when he was face to face with himself in what I called the Kirk off. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, maybe he just didn't have the uh, the resolution to be able to do that. Yeah, because we see that he's more volatile than emotional and um, afraid. Yeah. So I don't know. He it's like he has decisiveness, but not confidence. It's it's interesting. It's it's hard to hard to really say clearly, but either way, he gets subdued. My other uh, problem with that part was why would uh, Captain Meek and Spock split up, knowing that there's an imposter Kirk on board? Why would you want to lose eyesight of the one that you can trust and end up getting them? Have the possibility of getting them swapped accidentally later on. Yeah, I, it just doesn't point. seem like a very smart idea. Yeah, maybe put a handcuff on him or something, <laughs> or uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good. That's a pretty good point. He could easily, like we see later, easily change uniforms or cover up his scars and and uh, try to pretend to be the other version of himself. Exactly. Oh, the the green tunic that uh, that the good Kirk wears in this episode was introduced in this episode specifically to. Uh, for, for the audience to differentiate the two Kirks from each other, which kind of uh, makes the whole scratches thing 
pointless, I think, at this point. But they uh, they show that green tunic again throughout the series. Yeah, I like it too. I think he's the only the only one that I know of that wears two different uniforms on a regular basis, semi regular basis. Do you know is the is the green one more like his just casual uniform, and the other ones is professional, or why is he wear two different ones? Yeah, I I don't know what the the canon reason for that uniform is. I like it. <laughs> All right, so after this, we see in sick bay that Meek is analyzing evil and uh, determines that they have to go back through the transporters. He's kind of he's afraid to do it. Obviously, he's like, man, this is gonna this is gonna make it or break it. We might die, but we need to go we need to go through it one way or another. Our, our crew is dying on the surface of the planet. All right, so from the sick bay, uh, evil Captain Evil breaks free. So we see uh, on the bridge, evil enters uh, and he takes the captain's chair and he orders for the helmsman to break orbit. They're gonna move on and pretty much abandon the landing party, which he says they're too far gone. There's no way to save them. Uh, but then we see Meek enters the bridge with Bones. Uh, what did you expect would happen when? When Meek shows up and they're face to face, they look the same. What do you think was going to happen there? Well, the first thought that I had was that they were going to do the whole uh, insert the meme of Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man thing here. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my my first thought is he's the imposter. I'm the imposter. He's the yeah, I'm the real one. He's the imposter back and forth. <laughs> right. And I was kind of surprised that there wasn't very much of that at all. There was, I guess, enough differentiating character traits that. They didn't even have to. Spock actually knew right away which one was the, the better, the meek uh, Kirk versus the evil one. Uh, so we see though that the evil Captain Evil starts to panic right away, gets real defensive. He grabs this the helmsman, which happens to just be the nearest guy by him, grabs him by the head and like throws him across the bridge, which was pretty messed up. Poor guy's just trying to do his job. Uh, but then he pulls his phaser. He holds it out saying, I'll kill you if I have to. And Meek explains it to him again like he did earlier. Like, hey, you need me. I need you. We can't survive. You know, no man can survive. It's just a half a man. Um, and Captain Evil gets real emotional and scared and uh, eventually is easily subdued. And they, they go to the transporter room together. Yeah, the, the line, can half a man live, stands yeah. out there. It's yeah. pretty on the nose for what they're talking about in this episode with uh, mm -hmm the good and evil with that with within a person but pretty on the nose yeah uh so then they go back to the transporter room meek and evil are on the transporter pad uh to see if they can be you know see if it could be reversed if they could be put back together um and i, I noted here first that shouldn't they have tested this on the dog but you you were telling me that they did and i just didn't remember that scene yeah, they uh, definitely did test it earlier on the dog. It was when they were in the transporter room the, the, the most recent time before this. Um, Kirk is pleading with them to be nice to the, the dog that's like the Cujo version of the dog as they're getting it out of the cage. And I did also want to mention when they were putting the dogs, the good dog and the, the positive dog and the negative dog, I think is what they refer to it, positive and negative at uh -huh. this point. They're putting them on the transporter pad. Obviously, one of them is a stuffed animal. <laughs> it's fantastic. Because, yeah, they, they like tranquilize the dog or something and then replace it with a stuffed animal version of the dog. It was great. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't have two similar looking, you know, chihuahuas or whatever that dog was for that scene. Um, yeah, right. You think it'd be pretty easy to get two dogs that you could put in costumes to look close enough to each other to fool the audience. But no, let's just use a stuffed animal. Yeah. 
eh, he's got to be sedated anyways. Might as well just be a stuffed animal. <laughs> uh, so Meek says to Spock, if this doesn't work, and Spock says, I think he said, understood, Captain. So what do you think he meant by that? I was going to ask you the exact same question, honestly. <laughs> so, I, I, I was thinking it meant if, if this doesn't work, like if it doesn't separate us, you either have to kill me or kill him or kill both. Or he's telling Spock, you know, if we die in this transporter accident or whatever, you're in command. I thought it was definitely the second one. That was what I <laughs> gathered from it. Is that, yeah, if this, if this kills me like it did the dog, then, mm. then you're in command. That makes more sense. <laughs> um, okay, so then we see the transport was successful. He's reintegrated as, as himself. Uh, they go back to the bridge. Uh, was it in the bridge? No. They, they're being back the landing party. And uh, they see these poor guys are just icicles. Uh, the doctor says, though, they'll, they will be okay. It's just going to take a little time to, to you know, reacclimate and everything. Uh, and then that's it. I think they carry on to their next adventure. Yeah, so... A couple of things I want to touch on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was pretty cool that at one point Sulu actually shot the rocks with a phaser to heat the rocks up. Yeah. It's something we see later on in Star Trek. I didn't realize it was all the way back in this this first series, but yeah, this originated here. I thought that's pretty, pretty smart. Cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like survival, like Boy Scouts, but with phasers. <laughs> oh, that's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. One of the other things in this episode that uh, caught my attention was when Spock was saying that the, uh, the negative Kirk was, uh, I have it written down somewhere. Oh, that the, the negative side of Kirk wasn't was it logical. Yeah. He, he, he mentioned that, that, um, cause they were kind of trying to divvy up what traits each version of them had. And it was that the the meek version uh, wasn't decisive. He couldn't make a command decision, but the uh, evil version of him was illogical. He just couldn't think logically, right? Yeah, and um, also that the the evil version of him was the one that had fear. Like, even though the, the meek version wasn't able to make decisions, when it was making some decisions, it wasn't afraid. It was the... The, it, they were basically saying that the good in somebody is more confident, even without confidence, I suppose, than the bad of somebody is or something. I, I don't know. The, 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 the fear comes from the bad, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> fear yeah, comes and, from the bad. And all these all the different emotions, these illogical, extreme uh, emotional reactions are part of the evil version, the negative side of, of Kirk. While his logical, rational, but often indecisive, because it's hard to logically weigh pros and cons to every scenario without uh, making an emotional decision. Uh, those are part of the more logical, meek version of Kirk. Yeah, and I think that was essentially the, the point of the episode. Everyone has a dark side. The light side cannot live without the dark. Yeah, That's I agree. Pretty much but the moral it- of the story. But I think one thing too was that uh, the dark side needs to be under proper control because that was that was one thing I think Spock had mentioned too that he he what was it something like he uh, he needs the the dark side needs the light side to control its uh, tendencies or whatever but but the light side can't live without the dark like you're saying 
the the functionality of the whole transporter accident i didn't really care for because i think they tried to explain and they didn't necessarily explain it but the reason that they got broken up into a quote positive and quote negative version of themselves is because there was this magnetized ore that was all over fisher's uh uniform when he got transported up Mm -hmm. and somehow that magnetized stuff split kirk and the unicorn dog each into a positive and negative but the you know, a magnetized positive and negative does not necessarily equate to our perceived notion of a positive and negative side of a human. So it's very yeah. strange. And I believe um, Scotty says that it, seemed, it felt like there was an overload or something like that. that. That acted like an overload, but maybe it wasn't truly an overload. But then they did find that conduit that was blown out and all the wires were fried. Yeah, maybe I just read a little bit more into the whole magneti- magnetized thing than I, I should have, but figure why would they talk about needing Fisher needing to go through decontamination with magnetized stuff on his uniform if it wasn't for, you know, the whole plot of the episode? Yeah, and I mean, we can definitely have a separate episode all about uh, transported technology theory and stuff <laughs> like that, because there's so much to it, but the fact that the transporter can take apart a person, beam them, you know, so far away, reassemble them, but then reassemble them again. They're making two people, but they don't have twice the matter. That already just kind of broke the transporters to me. Yeah. I mean, they kind of do an opposite thing in Star Trek Voyager, which we'll talk about way later on. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's transporters are a, a, a fun thing to think about until the the uh, the transporter accident episodes come by. And it's like, well, really, should it have done that? And we just kind of have to go with it as as the audience, which yeah. is fine. It's fun. Well, I had read an article a long time ago, years ago, actually, that explained if transporters were real, how they would actually have to work for based on our basic uh, understanding of science. And it's pretty gruesome because it, what it really explains is you would be transferring the data. You'd be sending all the information of how somebody's built a recipe and you would kill them in the present location, take them apart, store their, their molecules. And then in the other location, you would have a tank full of molecules that you would put back together in the form of that person, but they're made up from, you know, just, just stock molecules. So, so they touch <laughs> on that in the prequel series. Oh. They actually talk about like when the, in enterprise, when they're talking about how transporters are new technology and all that stuff, um, they talk about whether or not it's some computerized clone that ends up being materialized and the original person that steps into the transporter pad dies every time. And they're like, no, that's not how it works. And they just brush it off as far as I can remember. Right. But I, I agree completely. That's exactly what would have to happen for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we don't know what future technology will have, so it could change, but yeah, that would be, that would be a pretty gruesome way to depict it at least. The one last thing I want to touch on in this episode was mm-hmm. when Spock was giving the captain's log. So, in episodes prior, and even earlier in this episode, we hear the captain's log in a past tense. And I think we've talked about this a little bit before. But this happened in this episode, both in the past tense and then in the present progressive tense. It was Mm -hmm. earlier when, after the transporter accident first happened, Kirk says, unbeknownst to us, the transporter created a second version or a duplicate of Kirk. Mm -hmm. And when Spock is giving the captain's log later on, He's saying things as they're currently happening. So 
when do they record these damn logs? <laughs> right. When do they when do they have the time to even stop and yeah, <laughs> Right. I know it's and, and I know sometimes they'll say, you know, like Captain's Log Supplemental, like they're they're piecing it together throughout the day. So yeah. I could imagine those would be um, you know, present tense, but yeah, most most of them are saying typically past tense. But that's a good point that Spock is not speaking past tense. Yeah, it's just anytime I think of a captain's log in Star Trek, it's always we're on our way to this planet or we're on our way to this mission. It seems as if it's happening in the present to me. Mm-hmm. And it threw me off at first when Kirk was talking it in the past tense. But I'm like, no, that makes perfect sense because you're not going to be like in the middle of something and be like, oh, I've got to write this down or I got to talk to my journal about this. Right. You're going to wait until it's over and then you're going to report. Yeah, you would think it's at the end of each duty cycle, duty shift. I just it it blew my mind when I realized how little I actually thought about the captain's log, and it's actually a very important thing, both narratively and in canon. All right. Um, did you have any other notes, comments, anything else about the episode? Uh, there's good character progression from Spock. Um, mm-hmm. I liked when Spock was explaining to Bones what could happen if when they were trying to decide what to do with Kirk after the dog transporter thing failed they were talking back and forth about oh we should do an autopsy on the dog no we should just try this with kirk right away because he's stronger than the dog before he really gets into that uh bones asks do you have a point spock and spock just replies yes always i I, I freaking (laughs) love it like it just the, the the snarkiness that's not intentional snarkiness is perfect i love it yeah uh also, speaking of Spock, there was at the very, very end, I didn't even put it in my notes because it was a little weird and I, uh, I wasn't going to go into it, but uh, Yeoman Rand delivers a pad to him and doesn't, Spock says something to her like that uh, the, the other version of Kirk seemed to have some interesting traits, didn't he? Something like that. Yeah, I and, actually did write that down. The, the line was, the imposter had some interesting qualities, wouldn't you say? And then he smiles sinister almost yeah i don't get that i mean I, I think i don't know i think the show is trying to play her off as like the the hot female co-worker kind of thing and that they're trying to embrace that even though nowadays we don't but i thought that was just a little bit creepy it was i yeah that's actually the last part of my notes is just talking about spock saying that and says what a fucking dick <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah, you're, you're right. It was meant to be kind of a ha 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 that almost happened, but didn't. So now we can laugh about it, sort of thing. But yeah. no, that's that's not cool. Definitely doesn't hold up now at all. Yeah, yeah. So I'm at glad. Least, you I mean, up. at least modern modern Star Trek knows. You know, we've we've evolved. We've grown since then. Yeah, that's. I think that's the best part about looking back at these old episodes is not only taking it into context from when it was written, but also comparing it to how it would be written now mm-hmm. and for the most part for the most part star trek really holds up it's just these little things here and there that are kind of out of place and it's funny because back then they were you know the progressive ones the show of you know integrating different cultures and races and genders yeah. for all these different things and then we still see now you know they thought they were probably playing it real safe and being real good about it and then you know we see now like oh yeah you know we've learned these things aren't quite okay. And uh, they just, you know, they didn't know they were trying, but that's how it goes. I think, I think one of these days, probably after we're done with the original series, we'll have a big discussion about the entirety of the show and how it holds up. 
But until then, we're going to pick it apart episode by episode because this is fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you did like it, don't forget to subscribe and check us out on our social media platforms, thegeekfreakspodcast.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, remember, you can send us questions. If you want us to read your question at the beginning of the episode, we would love to. Um, and don't forget to join us next time, season one, episode six for Muds Women. Until next time, please, God, let this go right. <laughs> Away team to transporter room, two to beam up.